Welcome to the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, I have the opportunity to visit with Kevin Townley. Hi, Kevin. Hello there. Aaron, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you. We're going to have a really interesting conversation on the alchemy of fermentation and the microbiome. And we're going to get into some fun philosophy, theology, mystical, esoteric topics as well. This is going to be a really fun episode. And before we dive in, I want to tell you a little about Kevin's background. He is a, a student and a scholar in theology and philosophy. And uh, during his formative years, spent 10 years in a monastic setting with the Carmelite order. Uh, more recently, he is very involved with the Freemason Institution, specifically as the Grand Lecturer here in Colorado, where he is in charge of the esoteric work of the fraternity, working with his committee, the custodians of the work. Uh, Kevin has also worked as a professional alchemist uh, and uh, did that for many years and ran an alchemy lab for a couple of years. And uh, Kevin was telling me that uh, back in 2008 in Aspen at the Aspen Institute, he encountered Father Thomas Keating, some of you may know the name, uh, talking about uh, alchemy in the microbiome and so forth. And uh, Father Keating from that Cistercian Monastery in Snowmass yep. indicated that that was one of the best talks he had ever heard on, on the topic. Is that right? On the topic of the Eucharist and why it is what it is, yeah. On the topic of the Eucharist. And, and one of the things we're going to get to in this discussion on fermentation in the microbiome is how that <clears throat> uh, plays into the tradition, the sacrament of the Eucharist, and some of the other traditions from around the world. So, uh, Kevin, thanks for being with us today. It's so great to have this opportunity to talk with you. My pleasure, Aaron. Yeah. So we're talking about the alchemy of fermentation in the microbiome. What what is that? What are we what are we talking about there? Well, fundamentally, you know, and and it's no mystery to a lot of um, biologists and nutritionists, at least more uh, current ones, that you know we have within our own makeup. We have fifty trillion cells that make up our human body, but even more than that, there's uh, all these microbes that live within our body, particularly in the gut, intestines, stomach, and so on. And they present a culture, just like we have a, you know, cultures of, of the Hebrews or the Celts or the Chinese. There's a culture, and the culture tends to uh, multiply itself when it's left to do whatever that culture does. And the same is true with the cultures that live within our body. And if uh, there are certain environments created, then we have healthy cultures in our body and health and well-being is the consequence and if we create an environment for unhealthy cultures then usually disease and a variety of unwholesome things happen in, within our body and so whether or not you know we can know about what to do and then not do it but the problem is or the situation is that if we create the proper environment for our uh, internal ecology we can have um, uh, control that and, and, mm. and create a whole new system for ourselves and that and that culture that lives within us. Yeah, so interesting. So sometimes we talk about it's as if we're each running a farm in our own bodies with these different microorganisms that live inside of us. Sure. And more and more of us are becoming aware that eating certain probiotic foods, foods that are have these living cultures in them, is one of the ways we can maintain very healthy internal 
microorganism cultures. Not just the probiotics, but there's also prebiotics. Mm -hmm. and, and the prebiotics usually feed healthy organisms that are living sort of in a, in a ghetto uh -huh. <laughs> within our gut that, that are healthy, but they've been so overwhelmed by other cultures that they're sort of off to the side. And if you get the proper nutrients, uh, the prebiotics for those organisms, then mm -hmm. they start to thrive and the unhealthy ones start to starve. And then there's a whole transformation in the culture within the body. So uh, probiotics are great to get things started, but the prebiotics are seem to be, uh, according to the literature anyway, a, a more sustainable way because the, the probiotics tend to die off in short order, mm -hmm. but the prebiotics help create a healthy condition for the existing uh, culture and, and make it more healthy so that it becomes dominant. So that's, yeah, it's sort of the foundation, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is super interesting. So what does that have to do with the Eucharist? And, and before getting into the topic of the Eucharist, you know, with our stewardship and sustainability series, one of the things we do from time to time is speak with different religious and spiritual leaders, elders, etc. We had Safi Koskos on the show several months ago. He's from Saudi Arabia doing great interfaith work throughout the world. And, you know, not all of us are practicing Christians, obviously, but worldwide, I think it's safe to say that the influence, the impact of the Abrahamic tradition, the Jewish, the Christian, the Islamic traditions is, is substantial. It's significant. Mm -hmm. My research for Why on Earth showed me that uh, some uh, five out of eight people on the planet identify uh, as uh, being affiliated with one of the Abrahamic traditions. So... I'm curious to talk about this sacrament of the Eucharist uh, with the microbiome in mind, Kevin, uh, knowing that not all of our audience is necessarily Christian. Sure. Uh, and one of the important things to, to understand about that is that, you know, a lot of people with, they have no religious background whatsoever, make bread. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, yeah. and what do you do when you make bread? Well, you add a leaven to it, mm -hmm. that is a, a yeast. And what happens is that the yeast begin to eat the sugars that are within the flour and, you know, we put it in a warm spot and the dough rises and the, there creates gases and things. But what really happens is that there's a transformation from the flour into a living food mm -hmm. and that it has uh, the different types of cultures that are put into the flour and it eventually becomes a living bread. Same is true for, for the wine. And that the wine um, is grape juice, generally speaking, and, and you know there are all varieties of wine. But let's just take the grapes, and they have their own natural sugars. And when you add a different strain of of yeast to the grape juice, it creates a product that doesn't exist in that in that form in the natural world, and that is alcohol. But there is a living culture within within that um, grape juice, mm. and it becomes a living uh, drink, if you will. And if it goes too far, that culture uh, dies and another culture is generated, mm -hmm. which produces vinegar. And mm -hmm. so the, the main idea behind all that is that there's a living uh, culture that's transforming something into something else. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of, of a living bread and a living wine uh, is something that um, really gives us a, a, an interesting understanding that we're drinking something and eating something that uh, actually changes the internal culture of our bodies. Yeah. 
just our, our kombucha. <laughs> right. It's all the same thing, or sauerkraut, or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're ingesting these foods that change, that change the, or support cultures. It's interesting to me that we see living cultured foods in traditions all around the world, all mm -hmm. around the planet. You yeah. mentioned kombucha. There's uh, living sauerkrauts. There's kimchi, mm -hmm. all kinds of different yeah. things. A lot of our modern industrial foods have uh, eliminated that living component. So you today can go and buy a shelf-stable version of sauerkraut on some aisle that does not have that living culture in it. Right. And I'm wondering if there may be a connection there, certainly the literature is bearing this out, uh, between many of the health issues that we're seeing, not only physical, but even potentially mental and emotional health issues that are related to not having as much living cultured food in our diets as we once did. Well, I sure would agree with that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the, the modern nutritionists and, and, and biologists would, would agree with that as well. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new way of looking at things. I say new, it's not brand new, but uh, it's becoming more scientifically verified uh, mm -hmm. than, say, some of the uh, theories that were presented maybe 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. It has now become scientific fact. Now there's this interesting connection. Some of us who are doing work in the realm of soil stewardship and carbon sequestration through soil building, soil regeneration, are working in the biodynamic tradition. And of course, uh, Rudolf Steiner, a great uh, esotericist of about 100 years ago, um, <clears throat> spoke about the connection between our guts as being analogous to the soil mm -hmm. in the landscape on the farm and we're seeing similar research emerging now and really validating how important that living microbiome is in the soil uh, just as it is in our own bodies and Steiner was sort of all over this way ahead of his time we might say mm -hmm. and I'm curious uh, as somebody who has studied different esoteric traditions from all around the world, are you seeing any insights or wisdom emerging in that connection that we might apply in our in our world today? Well, I think that those who went into those types of studies sort of had the, the advantage of not having to uh, demonstrate everything scientifically. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those ideas have been around for, I, I would say, thousands of years. Uh, I met this one... Uh, where was he from? Peru. He was a Peruvian uh, farmer, and I actually met him at the same same conference that I met uh, Father Thomas Keating in. Mm. And he got his PhD in agriculture from uh, from Greeley at the University of, in Northern Colorado there. Mm -hmm. And after all the things he learned about uh, soil and uh, fertilizers and all the modern agricultural practices, he said, you know, he still goes up and opens up a guinea pig and does the augury observation and interpretation. He says he finds that much more fulfilling and, and uh, inf the information is more valuable hmm. than, than a lot of the uh, newer types of agricultural pra practices that have been going on for the last 75 years. So the indigenous people tend to have that deep connection. Hmm. And in the alchemical world, it's called the signatures of nature, that there are things that are connected to the earth and those who are, uh, by virtue of their uh, background and, and attention, are also connected to the earth and to the signatures of nature. And so uh, we find that these ideas are not new, uh, but because of, of the path we've come, uh, we've taken scientifically, 
probably right around the close of the uh, 18th century, we went from an alchemical worldview to a chemical worldview. Mm -hmm. And there's a great uh, book that was written called The Dwellings of the Philosophers by a uh, very curious individual by the name of Falconelli. There's even a question whether it was one person, perhaps a group. But in that book it says that chemistry is the science of effects and alchemy is the science of causes. Mm. And so, uh, attendant to your, your comment that these things go back um, and our connection to the earth go back millennia, but we have sort of severed that connection, and, and perhaps it's, it's part of our process to be able to look at the the, uh, the minutest details and to separate things and then eventually recombine them. So now, uh, after the close of the uh, 18th century, science went into that separation mode, mm -hmm. but now it's coming up against itself, yeah. and it is recombining its ideas with the, the living aspect, because it's kind of divorced itself from the life aspect, but more about the form form aspect, or the, the uh, breaking things down and look at everything in separate uh, parts and not holes. Yeah. And so now we're looking th at things more from a holistic point of view. Even uh, scientifically, the more advanced sciences are now seeing that interdependent nature of reality, which you alluded to about the earth and, the, mm -hmm. and our guts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such an exciting time yeah. in that regard to be alive and to have these advancing tools that we have that allow us to see the very minute, for example, with these microorganisms, it's absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and, and I think too that the soil in our uh, internal bi biosphere um, is one example of that interconnectedness, but there are, there are other many, uh, there are many other examples of, of that interconnectedness, whether it has to, when it deals with our consciousnesses or um, our spiritual connection, telepathy, telepathy, and so on. Mm. Those are two very important pieces, and they allude to many other interconnected uh, parts within our uh, within our life and world, and in our even our solar system and, and galaxy. I mean, that's getting out there, but mm -hmm. there is that interconnectedness, and, and and that first part just alludes to these other other areas. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very curious, Kevin. With your background, your knowledge, and, and you've studied many of these interconnected esoteric traditions uh, in, a, in a depth and to a degree that not too many people accomplish in a lifetime. And I'm just curious, with that background, is there a specific insight or a specific uh, piece of wisdom or recommendation you would share with our audience in general about these times that we're living in? Well... You know, I've always kept pretty quiet about all these things. I mean, I, those who are interested, I'll have the conversation. But, um, you know, it's, it's really difficult because it's certainly been mostly a, uh, an individual journey. Mm -hmm. But what I've come to understand is that we're in a process, and humanity as a whole is moving in a particular trajectory. And there are resistances to, the, to moving in that direction. So our whole species, if you will, and, and, and we won't even include all the other uh, kingdoms that are involved in that same journey, is moving towards a place of unity, of familyhood, and so on and so forth. And there are resistances to us taking care of each other. Uh, and we can see that in our political climates today. And you have yeah. these different camps that are interested in, in ma really making sure that we uh, are proclaiming each other's uh, needs and caring for each other as a family as opposed to um, 
thinking that everybody's on an individual path, and if you don't earn it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that movement. Um, and the, the point that we eventually have to arrive is that full awareness of the familyhood of humanity. And that is one of the key factors that drew me into the Masonic Institution, because one of its primary uh, principal focuses is that very thing, the familyhood of humanity, the uh, cultivation of truth, and the relief of suffering in the world. And, and those are the three pieces. If I could give any uh, thoughts or wisdom or advice to anyone in the world, is that if you can gauge yourself by those three principles and have those being the uh, motivating factors in your life and ask yourself the question, is it truthful? Mm -hmm. Is it relieving suffering? And is it establishing the family unit of humanity? And if it doesn't pass muster at those three points, then something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Because the direction we're going on is to synthesize all three of those principles. And uh, that's how I choose my political candidates. Are they truthful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> are they relieving suffering or causing suffering? Or are they establishing their familyhood of humanity or creating division? Mm -hmm. I don't have to talk about Democrats or Republicans. Just are they following those three principles? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I think that the study, you can go in all these great subjects of numerology, astrology, Kabbalah, Kamatri, and so on and so forth, and they'll tickle their brain cells and they're very uh, transforming in certain ways, but when the rubber hits the road, that's where it counts, right there, mm. those three principles. Mm. Well, my understanding, which is limited, is that the founding of this country, the United States, was caused in great part by some Masonic leaders, George Washington, mm -hmm. Ben Franklin, and others, and that there were fundamental uh, ethical foundations laid that certainly over time uh, take effort to realize to a greater and greater degree. But I'm curious what your read is in terms of how the founding of this nation occurred in the context of that evolution of humanity and where we might be going in that sense? Well, I went to uh, the Philadelphia, to the Independence Hall, and there was a great, um, what do they call him, park ranger there, and he's a black man. <clears throat> and one of the uh, more interesting things that he said was that the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is a promise. Mm. Now, sometimes it takes a while to uh, fulfill the promise. And so while we have had uh, tremendous scars on our, uh, our history relative to slavery and uh, genocide and the treatment of the indigenous peoples and the repression of women, all those things, if you look at what occurred at that time and the culture in which they unfolded, um, we have made tremendous progress, but we're not, we haven't fully completed and fulfilled the promise. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, we have to be able to uh, elect our leaders who will adhere to the fundamental principles of which this country were founded on, and that is a government by, of, and for the people, mm -hmm. not by, of, and for uh institutions that uh, basically rape and pillage the resources of, of, of the citizenry. Mm -hmm. 
mm. uh, moving from uh, a democracy to a kleptocracy. I mean, mm. we can see mm. that even happening, you know, in our own country. Kleptocracy right meaning leadership by the thieves. Basically. Right, leadership by people yeah. taking the money and, mm -hmm. and leaving others to, to suffer as a consequence of that, that greed mm -hmm. and selfishness. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Masonic principles that uh, some of the uh, founding fathers had um, still survive today and, and are the, really the most excellent tenets by which we can operate by. Mm -hmm. the, um, there has been a deviation. You know, it's like if you're on a hike and you're heading towards a, a particular goal in the mountains, you might get into the thick timber and you don't see the goal anymore and you might wander a little bit and mm. but eventually you'll gain sight of the goal again and then you have to reorient yourself and i think that our nation is in the process of reorientation mm. toward mm. those principles and hopefully um with the with some of the newer leaders that are coming up particularly many of the women that have just come into the uh into the congress mm -hmm. uh, i i have great hope particularly with some of the younger uh, individuals who seem to be more occupied with caring for others than, than uh, seeing how they can take advantage of them. Mm, mm. It's beautiful. Well, connecting a thread back to an earlier part of our conversation where we're talking about microbiome, we're talking about some very complex living systems and aspects of this reality that our science has been really sort of catching up to being able to observe and understand in a more nuanced manner. And uh, it makes me think, my gosh, in some respects, the, the microbiome, the neurobiochemistry going on in each of our bodies, the complex wood wide web, I've heard it called the uh, network of living organisms across kingdoms of living species throughout the soil, throughout the forests, are so complex, so far beyond any of the technologies that we've developed. And we're just, as, as a society, really kind of catching on to how amazingly complex these systems truly are. And there's a whole other realm of complexity in the, the esoteric and mystical studies. And I know you've written a couple of books. I brought copies with me, one being The Cube of Space. We'll show this to the audience. The other being a follow-on, Meditations on the Cube of Space. And uh, by the way, where can people get these if they're looking to get these? Well, uh, right now I think you, you can get them on Amazon uh -huh. or you can email me and I'll send you copies. But they're, they're for sale on Amazon. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or contact you. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. um, you're dealing with some pretty complex information in these books mm -hmm. as well yeah. that, that tie to the uh, Hebrew tradition, the Hebraic tradition, um, the Kabbalistic tradition. So for, for our general audience, uh, the cube of space, what is it? And, and, and how, how is that something that relates to our lives? Well, there, there are several things. One is that um, it, it deals with uh, a, a, an investigation into the process of creation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the Big Bang Theory. I believe the Big Bang happens every day all over the place. Mm. And <clears throat> when, when someone uh, generates a creative thought and follows through with some very positive uh, actions and so on, uh, it really does foster and generates a whole creative process. So in this, in these two books, is really a, a way of understanding 
to some degree how it is that we can actually bring about changes in our lives and in the world um, according to how it is that we hold our creative thoughts. Now, there are a lot of books that are written on the subject of, you know, of creativity, but there's a mm. lot of information that's left out. Mm. And so we think about um, limitation as being a negative thing. Mm. But in, in these books, it really looks at limitation as being a tool. That So when you're going to create something, you, cr you impose the limits on what it is you want to accomplish so that you're not um, a mile wide and a half inch deep. So you get mm. to have something very specific and you create the boundaries by which that thing will come come, come forward. Mm. And, and so it, it investigates that. It gets into some very intellectual aspects, particularly uh, technicalities of, of the Kabbalah. But if I was to um, give you the nuts and bolts, the, the ultimate cliff version of that would be, <laughs> it really has to do with the creative process and the power of limitation. Mm. And so the first book is really about the information, and the second one is about practices mm -hmm. and how one can go about generating certain, uh, not just creative uh, threads of bringing something into manifestation, but also when we get back to the concept of, of fermentation, mm. um, what is also employed in, in both of these books are symbol systems. Mm -hmm. So there's the symbol system of alchemy, of, of the Kabbalistic system, of, of masonry, of geometry, and number. And all of those things together, when approached as a practice, will transform the way you think, mm. how you perceive the nature of reality. And we too often <clears throat> will observe things and take them at face value. Yeah. When there's, just as if you're looking at soil, it's, look at all that dirt, you know. Okay, mm -hmm. but it's not, mm -hmm. you know, I, I actually had a... Uh, uh, horticulture study it's not dirt it's soil and I thought okay and but but there's all this life that's in there mm -hmm. or sometimes lack thereof mm -hmm. and to be able to look at the livingness of something for example when I was working in a laboratory I used to do a lot of plant work it's called spagyrics mm -hmm. plant alchemy mm -hmm. and I would dig up a plant and I would clean off all the roots and I would notice that there's a place on the root that is not plant and it is no longer soil, mm -hmm. but it's the place in between the transformation or even transmutation of the uh, organic <clears throat> and inorganic compounds that are absorbed by the plant that transform it into living vegetable matter. Mm. That's an amazing thing. And when you can see that slight transition, it's not unlike uh, dawn and dusk. You know, it's not daytime, it's not nighttime. Mm -hmm. Sun hasn't come up or the sun's gone down and it's still light. There's those in-between states. And it's those in-between states where we can begin to perceive the transformations that take place, not just in the world around us, but also in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the symbol systems, um, uh, for example, I use the tarot and I use uh, number and... Hebrew letters and a variety of other symbols, when you work with them consistently and understand uh, the, the application, it's like having a tool and knowing how to use it, mm. uh, you will change and you will transform and for the better. <clears throat> but you have to be able to be willing to discipline yourself to go through that process. Mm. And so that's the main thrust too, is not just learning how to uh, create something intentionally, but also how to transform your own nature, to uh, become more aware of and identify with that inner 
presence that um, in Christianity it's called the soul or in the Hindu tradition it's called Krishna consciousness or in Buddhism it's it's the Buddha the Buddha consciousness so those are all available to us but it's not it's not available easily if all we do is uh, just kind of summarily just sort of scan over it it's like making mm -hmm. chicken soup you want to make chicken soup you got to boil the chicken uh -huh. you can't just pass <laughs> it over the boiling pot and call it good right so there's a certain intensity that has to uh, has to be experienced and undergone but you'll be a happy camper if you do you understand yeah. uh, the consequences of that type of meditation and study you know I'm, I'm so excited to hear about this and to share this with our audience I know uh, in May, May 17 to 19, the Why on Earth community is hosting a three-day summit called Massively Mobilizing Sustainability and uh, Deep Leadership for the 20, 21st Century is the subtitle. <clears throat> and we're bringing together executives, educators, entrepreneurs to explore aspects of leadership in these times, in these times when we are faced with the incredibly urgent task of healing and regenerating ecosystems, of healing and restoring social relationships and communities, etc. And it requires a, an even deeper type of leadership for us to get through these challenging times, I think, Kevin. And it's amazing to me to hear you describing something that seems to actually relate in a very important way to leadership. And in our culture today, we are we are fed so much for, through the media, images of what success looks like, mm -hmm. the next shiny mm -hmm. car, whatever it might be, the certain neighborhood, the certain zip code, and it's such a it's such a superficial story, and be, beneath that, there's this opportunity for depth and for authentic experience of growth, of development, of leadership, and. I'm so excited you're going to be at the summit with us in May because I think part of what you're sharing can do in our culture is deepen and activate and accelerate the type of leadership that's really needed in these kinds of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, leadership doesn't have to be out there uh, running for Senator Congress. Sometimes just mm -hmm. community leadership or grassroots leadership that you know gets felt in the in the larger context because. People gather together with masked intent and behind someone who has an idea that helps uh, transform the local and eventually the larger context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing. And of course, we're living in a time now where we can communicate all around the planet. That's right. And we have these tools at our fingertips that are extraordinarily powerful. And the hope is that we increasingly wield these powerful tools in a manner that is devoted to the cultivation of the familyhood of humanity and relief of suffering and cultivation of truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I used to have to travel to libraries to get information. Now you get a USB stick yeah. <laughs> and it's got the Library of Alexandria on it, right? It's like, well, not exactly that, but <laughs> huge, huge numbers of volumes about information. And some child in Nigeria can have all the information that man has mm. right here mm. in the palm of his hand. That's so exciting. Yeah, absolutely exciting. Yeah. I want to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And today we are speaking with Kevin Townley. And uh, we're discussing a variety of topics related to alchemy of fermentation in the microbiome. We might even say the uh, 
esoteric mysticism of leadership. Um, and I, I want to make sure to mention uh, our sponsors making this podcast possible. A big thank you to the International Society of Sustainability Professionals. Uh, a thank you to Purium, to Wele Waters, to Earth Coast Productions, and to the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America. Uh, thank you for your support for making all of this possible. I uh, also want to mention for any of you who would like to uh, check out any of Kevin's books, again, you can get those at Amazon, Kevin Townley, Cube of Space, and Meditations on the Cube of Space. Uh, we can also provide you a way to connect with Kevin if you're interested. Uh, and then for any of you who might want to check out any of the Why on Earth publications, be sure to use the code why on earth to get a discount at whyonearth.org. Uh, and also, if any of you would uh, leave a review and a like on the podcast channels, that is much appreciated. So we have covered a lot of information here, Kevin, and one of the things that strikes me in all of this is we, when we're talking about the microbiome and soil in our bodies, we're talking about the creative force we're, we're, we're talking in a sense about life force about a certain type of energy that we probably stand <clears throat> all that well mm -hmm. and i'm curious if you could shed a little light on what, what's fundamentally at play there well um i can only give you my understanding of it and i certainly uh have been in a quest of that myself but and with the limits of my own awareness uh, but we're really dealing with uh, the life principle so for example there are three basic principles of in, in existence in the forms, and that's the form aspect, mm -hmm. the consciousness aspect, and the life aspect. And so we, we're getting the form aspect done pretty good in terms of the separation that took place, as I mentioned, in the latter part of the uh, 18th century. We've analyzed stuff, talked about its chemical components, and so on. Um, you know, We can take a butterfly and tear it apart and talk about all its constituent parts, but... Mm. We'd be hard pressed to make a butterfly. I'm sure there are that, those now that could clone one, and I don't, we don't know so much about that. But, but there's that. That's the life principle. We also have the consciousness aspect. You know, in each particular um, kingdom, in the mineral kingdom, the consciousness aspect is crystallization. Mm. Minerals crystallize, and that's their one-trick pony. They can do that really well. In the uh, vegetable kingdom, we have a perfumed radiance or the flowering of a plant that mm. it demonstrates its type of consciousness and the reproduction of its own kind through through multiplication many many seeds uh, in the in the uh, animal kingdom we have instinct mm. in the uh, human kingdom we have uh, self-conscious awareness those are modes of awareness and consciousness and and we we're psychology and various types of studies have entered into that we don't fully understand the whole thing but now we have um, artificial intelligence. So we're beginning to create types of intelligences. But the life principle is the one that is really the uh, the big piece we're trying to identify. And so in alchemy, what it has tried to do over the millennia is isolate that life principle and uh, purify it and create an elixir out of it so that one can regenerate the body, raise their consciousness, and perhaps even eventually transform the physical sphere into a higher mm. higher level of being so that's 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 the mystery the life part and and so uh we feel the life 
We, we know when we feel great and we know when we don't. And we see life come busting forth in who knows how many hundreds of billions or trillions of metric tons of vegetable life that pounds out through the, the earth every, every spring. And then it goes back into the earth again when it breaks down, unless we harvest it for food. So the life of the vegetable kingdom and of the human kingdom and the animal kingdom and so on, they demonstrate themselves, but we still haven't got, okay, how do we do that? Hmm. And we don't know. But there may be certain pockets of science and or uh, other groups that have been at it for some maybe a thousand or plus years and maybe science for, for 40 or 50 years. But there is that effort to understand that life mechanism and the switches that get turned on and off in the human being, you know, when we, or when we start growing up, or certain switches get turned on, and men have testosterone and women estrogen, and they start operating accordingly. But then, when you get a little older, those switches get turned off, and mm. you start growing hair where you don't want it, and losing it where you do. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but it's that those life mechanisms that get turned on and get turned off, and that's what uh, some of the more advanced um, health companies are, are engaged in understanding those mechanisms mm. and so we feel it we want it and uh it's still a mystery to most so i am so struck that one of the big tasks in front of us right now is collaborating with natural forces to sequester carbon through soil building to healing and regenerating ecosystems collaborating with this life force as it is working in all of these different contexts and with all these countless numbers of species and i'm also <clears throat> struck that in our spiritual traditions the greatest teachers are teaching a message of love mm -hmm. and i'm curious if there isn't perhaps a nexus where it's love and intention we humans can bring into the ecosystems and into our communities that will help collaborate with that life force in a mysterious way to help us uh, get through these these uh, times where, as you said earlier, we've we've lost our way in the woods a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think you hit it right on the head, the love aspect, uh, because we're too focused on, on the form aspect, mm. and which translates into acquisition of of wealth of property of things that by many standards determine one's success mm. um, but when you um, fill out an application for a job you get the questions about your resume where'd you go to school what'd you study what is your experience i've never seen an application that said um you know what is your spiritual experience um mm. how well can you express love in the world um, we don't have that. In in uh, Bhutan, they have, a, you probably know this, uh, a Department of uh, Gross National Happiness. You've mm -hmm. heard that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We don't have one of those in our in our cabin here in the United <laughs> States. Gross National Happiness. Um, so that that's a measuring stick. And, and uh, we don't use that measuring stick, but there are other cultures that do. Mm. And so we're not asked about our capacity in the, in those particular areas. One day, perhaps there will be. Mm. Um, I mean, just because one can love doesn't mean they're qualified for a job. But at the same time, uh, that level of compassion and concern for others is really what's going to take us um, in the right direction. Mm. Mm. And and there are many that are doing that now, or trying, but they're meeting their resistance of self-centered, selfish 
individuals and corporations and so on mm. that are not concerned about that. Mm. Matter of fact, they don't care at all. It's amazing <clears throat> to me to, to see more and more this sense of service awakening and enlivening in our culture. And thinking about the different ways you've referred to transformation, transmutation, even transubstantiation. And I wonder if as individuals, as leaders in our communities, uh, corporations, organizations, we each might be able to activate a bit more of this wherever we're situated. Well, that's how, that's how it works. That's, how, that's the whole idea behind uh, a leaven or putting mm. yeast into something that when you put a person or a group of people within a context and they're loving, compassionate beings, it becomes contagious. We all want that, really. Mm. You know, even if, if the outward expression of an individual is, is, doesn't demonstrate that. <clears throat> when they go home, they like to cuddle with their kids and, mm. and love their husband or wife and, uh, and, and express that. So we all need that. We all want that. But a lot of times we only want it for... Our, nuclear, our little family mm. or our yeah. small community or our religious group or our national group. And we don't think about Expand it that. in terms yeah. of a, a, a worldwide familyhood. Mm. We'll get there, hopefully. But, uh, you know, as long as we don't do some terminal damage to each other, mm -hmm. like destroy the planet, <laughs> right. if we have a place to live, humanity is on that trajectory, but it has to overcome some of the uh, difficulties that uh, we are now facing in the world. Yes. Well, Kevin, I am um, so grateful to have this opportunity to mm. speak with you today, and I'm really excited and grateful that you're going to be with us in May at the uh, Stewardship Summit, Massively Mobilizing Sustainability. And uh, on behalf of the Why on Earth community audience, thank you for visiting with us today. And before we sign off, is there is there anything else you'd like to, to leave us with? You know, I don't think so. I mean, I think I said what... Unless you have another question, but I think uh, I probably said what needs to be said. I have one more question. It, you reminded <clears> me. <throat> and because you have such a depth of knowledge around the Hebrew, um, this, this word Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, can you uh, riff on that for a minute or two well, for well, us? Well, I could, and it's interesting, you know... Um, that Tetragrammaton doesn't come into the creation story until uh, we hear that Yahweh was walking in the cool of the day and noticed uh, Adam and Eve, they're wearing fig leaves, right? Mm. <laughs> That's where, where we get introduced to that, that being. But in the earlier section, and, and interestingly enough, that in, in the Gen book of Genesis, any... Uh, Talking of deity is always called God. Doesn't matter what the word is. So we have Elohim, which mm. is is the is the deity that is involved in the creation of night and day and the fishes of the sea and their soul and the birds of the air, etc. That's the being that creates the the whole first few cha uh, chapters of of Genesis, and they even mm. create Adam and Eve. <clears throat> so uh, when we get to Yahweh, there's a it's a different aspect of deity. Very interesting. And I know this isn't very popular in more traditional rabbinical circles, but if you go into the um, uh, the Hindu tradition, we have Brahma, which is sort of analogous to Yahweh in, if we were to compare pantheons. Um, but there's also a para-Brahma, the mm. Brahma before creation. And so in the book on the Cuba space, uh, there's a para-Yahweh. 
Mm. And that being creates a container that the universe can enter into. And so once that container is created, the Pariyahwe, which is yod vav becomes yod vav he And so there's a the material aspect of deity, and I know this may run into some run afoul of some of the more traditional rabbinical scholars, but you know Sefer Yetzer kind of lays it out there, mm. and uh, I just speak to the truth of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably imagine many of our audience don't really know that the this word Yahweh that we'll use mm. and that might be familiar is coming from these Hebrew characters Yod. Hey, Vav, and yeah. Hey. Yeah. So yeah. that that's the truth. That's that's the story there. That's the story, and they're more familiar with Jehovah, which is the mm-hmm. Latin word for that name. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a great Hebrew scholar by any means. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not a Hebraist in terms of language. I probably know enough to make myself dangerous. However, um, when one begins to examine the intricacies of the name, and the the earlier part of that name, prior to the second hay coming into the spelling of the name, it raises a lot of questions about the whole creative process. Mm. And uh, that's why the Sefer Yetzer, one of the great Kabbalistic texts, really uh, speaks to that whole pre-creation um, story. Mm. That because that story took place, Genesis could took place, can take place, mm. which is pretty amazing. Truly, yeah. truly. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome, today. Aaron. Thanks for inviting wonderful. me. Alrighty. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.